Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey, this is Ollie, telling you about another podcast I host, Unfiltered. It's an interview show. We've talked about sex work, addiction, and battering racists. And we're only a few episodes in. Some of the guests so far, One Direction's Niall Horan, GOAT footballer Viv Miedemar, and Mayor of London, Sadiq Khan. Just search Unfiltered with Ollie Dugmore wherever you get your podcasts. Am I tough enough? Strong and stable leadership. Total rhubarb. Hell yes, I'm tough enough. Shut the fridge. Not another one. It's the Politics Show oh. Pubcast. Love podcasts, hate nonsense. It's the Politics Show Pubcast, ladies and Woo! gentlemen. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Scorched Earth. Let's go. <laughs> Scorched Earth. Great, great stuff. Great stuff. Ed Campbell, the golden boy of Politics Show. How are you? Excellent. Yeah, I always like when we have a guest, and I like watching the guest's reaction to the intro. Yeah, because we, we never we never warn you. <laughs> no, no. But you see, I feel I've let you down already. <laughs> not well, you enjoyed in. that. No, yeah. it was good. There's some clapping. That's nice. Sometimes people sit there and a bit bemused. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, our guest is Neil Lawson, the director of Compass. This is the final episode over the summer where we invite sort of people with bigger brains than us, um, policy policy guys, wonks, um, people from pressure groups, etc., to talk about issues in lieu of our usual uh, PMQs digest. That'll be happening again next week, but we're all the better for having Neil with us. Neil, how are you? I'm marvellous. It's you know, it's the start of the week. It's a you know, mm-hmm. new, well, it's not the start of the week because it's a Tuesday. Exactly. Because we had a, we've all just had a great bank holiday. But on Four the back day of that, week. I'm absolutely fine, and I'm really glad to be here on your wonderful podcast. Thank you, mate. Very glad to have you here. Um, rather than me or Ed giving you a introduction or trying to surmise your work, why don't you start off by just telling everyone who you are and what it is you guys do? Yeah, I'm Neil Lawson, and I'm the director of an organisation called Compass which celebrates its 20th year. We've been around for 20 years and we still don't know what we are. Oh, great. Yeah, okay. so it's been a long <laughs> journey. The next it's been a long journey. I don't know what we do either. I know. Um, we don't know. We're not really a think tank because we do think tanky stuff. Um, we are a campaign organisation, but we don't campaign on just single issues. We campaign, we kind of, our whole life is driven around a thing that we call the good society. And the good society is one which is much more equal, democratic and sustainable and in order to get a world which is much more democratic, sustainable, and um, uh, what equal, did yeah. I say? I do yeah. remember yeah. the three things, uh, that, which is good <laughs> after 20 years, I should do. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, we do lots of stuff. You know, um, 
but mostly our focus now is on changing the political system because we don't think we can get that world under the current democratic and political system. It won't allow it. It kind of pushes it off of the table. Mm. You can only win if you're cautious, conservative, narrow, etc. Mm. So, and then that all hinges on us in terms of um, uh, the electoral system, not because we think it's a panacea, not because we think if we move to PR, proportional representation, everything's brilliant overnight, but we think it's the bit that unlocks the system and we maybe we'll talk about this and unpack this. Mm. Um, and then we try and bring progressives together. And we can talk about what a progressive is if we want. Um, but you'll ask your own questions. I won't, <laughs> it's I won't prompt you on any of those. much easier for us if you just interview yeah. yourself. Uh, yeah, so, if you just yeah. speak for I'll just, I'll just move around. The floor is yours. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll put it to you, Neil. Why are you so wonderful? Oh. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so we kind of bring, try and, because look, there is a progressive majority in this country. In virtually every election, there's a progressive majority, right? Mm. And it's split, right? And it loses, right? Mm. So we don't want to keep losing. We want that progressive majority be to represent it and we'll get into the politics of this about where it leads you if you don't join those things up i'll tell you i'll shortcut it leads you to rupert murdoch which is not a great place to go to yeah. if you want to kind of build a good society so so can you get all of that energy that you know we're not all the same but we're we're the same enough to work together to say let's transfer that progressive majority into a progressive majority in the house of commons get pr that we'll talk through how that changes the system and then, hey, presto, you've got the chance of getting a good society. Mm. You know, so we continue to work on what that good society looks like, and we'll talk a bit about that maybe. But it's really how do you change the system, how do you get the progressives to work together, change the system, and then you've got the chance. Mm. Only the chance. It doesn't guarantee anything. PR doesn't, you know, the right will win under PR as well. But it gives a, a level playing field for ideas in, a, in the way that at the moment everything is skewed. So we've, over those 20 years, we've done various campaigns or whatever, but begun to hone in on this as being the core bit mm -hmm. about what Compass is about. Ed, as um, a man of Scottish heritage, mm -hmm. obviously you have uh, direct experience of a slightly different electoral system than yeah. the Westminster one. Um, thoughts and feelings about something that's not first past the post? What do you, what do you reckon? Yeah, very, very for it. I think it allows, pro, yeah. Yeah, I think it allows you, it allows you to express your political views or opinions in a much more nuanced way. If you take the Scottish Parliament, the additional member systems, so you have in your uh, constituency, it's a first past the post thing, but then there's a you have an additional vote for a regional um, regional member, which I think is just party list, straight party list maybe. So you can vote, say you wanted a Labour MP, but you're also very concerned about environmental politics. You can vote for the Greens as well. I think it it allows you to express your votes um, in a much more meaningful a meaningful way, which I think is probably mm. probably a good thing for democracy rather than be, rather than having just a knee-jerk anti-Tory vote or etc. I think mm -hmm. it's a much more nuanced fashion. Neil, a lot of people will look at um, other electoral systems that do have more proportional ways of voting or for better proportional representation. So they might look at, I don't know, Italy or another European country and say, yeah, they've got proportional representation. Um, but it also makes for much more unstable governance that coalition building doesn't always work as nicely as we want it to and that actually having this plethora of tiny parties means you get a very fractured unstable and difficult to control political system how do you answer that criticism i'll answer it in a minute right? okay we'll, sure. come, we'll come back to back it back to interviewing yourself yeah yeah so we'll come back to that because i think it's an important question and one that we have to answer but let's get back to the fundamentals right mm. the, the problem with the existing system right is that what it does it well a it discounts 70 percent of votes because only 30% of votes count. Either it's wasted because your candidate doesn't get in, or your candidate has got in and it's just piling up votes 
on top of them, right? So only 30% in any election of votes actually count. And when only 30% of votes count, and it's a tiny fraction of that as well, because the only voters that matter under first past the post is a few swing voters in a few swing seats. People have calculated that could be 100,000 people in the country that swing any election, because it's only if you shift from one side to another in the seats that matter that might change hands. So in a system in which, which hinges on the votes of 100,000 people. So what matters then is the... Uh, uh, the party donors, the people with really deep pockets and what they want, who fund the fund the parties, mm. the media barons who set you know the the the, the agenda and uh, you know and those very few, let's call them kind of you know uncertain people, those swing voters in swing seats. So everything hinges on them. So the whole political agenda is run around those people. So that's got to be broken open. That mm. has got to be broken open, okay? Okay. And, and only when you've broken that open can then all of the issues, you know, be you know put on the table. And then, you know, I, I'm not selling PR as a panacea. I'm saying that that's the bit that breaks the stranglehold of the rich and the powerful and the people who can, and the very few people who can never make up their mind right about which way they go because they're they're the they're the groups that are pandered to. Mm-hmm. Let's stop pandering to those and let's start pandering to the ninety eight percent of people who are not in the, those three categories. And then you've got a politics with the level playing field. You know now okay through electoral systems there are lots of different forms of, of PR. Um, I happen to quite like the system Ed was talking about in in Scotland. You know, the additional member system, because it's a balance between constituency representation, but enough proportionality to break the stranglehold of those people. You can have thresholds of 5%. You know, parties got to get above 5% to stop all of those smaller parties. But then your your electoral system, then because it represents the people much more accurately, is representing the political will of those people. And if that's fractured and difficult and got kind of right-wing views in it, then you have to accept that. I mean, one of the greatest kind of you know um, uh, uh, problems of the last kind of ten years or so was the 2015 election, where UKIP got 3.8 million votes, 3.8 million votes, and didn't really win a seat. Mm. You know that, and, and then it all bubbles up in 2016, you know, and the Brexit referendum because these people are shut out. Mm. You can't shut people out. You just put in the pressure cooker lid on it. Yeah. And if there are right wing people in the country, let's give them representation. And it would be much better if UKIP had got political representation because people have seen what a bunch of Charlies they are and how you know <laughs> terrible they were at running anything or doing anything. Mm. Instead, you gave them a grudge. No. You gave them a reason to think that we're not being listened to. We're being shut out. The establishment is against us. And under first past the post, that's absolutely true. You know, and then you get a, a referendum, you know, and then you find out that our political elites, you know, and, and many of us are not in touch with the rest of the country and get an astounding result that people really didn't see coming. Because first past the post encourages you to ignore all of those people. They've got nowhere else to go. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know what the age profile of your of your um, uh, listeners and viewers is, but it's like, you know, they won't know this, but I remember it because I'm old. You know, once upon a time, you had two buttons on your television. You know, you had BBC and ITV, right? And that's what our politics is like. You can have the Tories or you can have the kind of Tory light. I don't really mean that. Labour's a wonderful party <laughs> and we, we make it on so, You know, but that, that's the only choice you've got, right? Don't forget about the Lib Dems. No, well... Come well, on, come on. Yeah. Need all the buttons. Uh, I, you know, yeah, BBC true. Two came along eventually, <laughs> you know, and so you get three buttons and yeah. then the Greens, are, you know, definitely Channel 4. Uh-huh. But like in, in a world of, you know, multi-channel, plethora of stuff where you've got all that choice, our politics is still in that binary kind of cartelized system Mm. and the maddening thing about it is you think about any system that that regulates itself like that and can decide what the electoral system is that props up the two-party system where you know your only choice is the you know the shit one or the shit light one Mm. right and they know that 
And so they never get, you know, so we'll get, maybe we'll get into this, but how do you change a system where the people who decide how the system is changed, all of their interests and incentives are, are there to keep the system as it is, yeah, yeah, yeah. which is just like, that's got to be, you know, I don't, what do I know? But that doesn't feel right to me. Well, the Liberal, the Liberal Democrats did actually have a crack at it, didn't they, right? After 2010. <sighs> yeah, they did. They and did. They did. <laughs> we had a referendum yeah. on uh, AV alternative vote. And I mean, un- unsurprisingly, I think given, given the nature of it, no one really took an interest. Very low turnout. Got rejected. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think smartly by David Cameron, sort of sending it AV than perhaps another system. Regardless, they tried. That's probably as close as we've ever gotten to shifting it. Well, uh, the, it was in Labour's manifesto yeah. to, to do it in '97. The Jenkins Commission was supposed to have gone to a referendum, but I think Brown suggested it in his latest constitutional report thing. As well, I'm didn't not. It? No, there isn't anything about PR in oh, there. He okay. said that was off the agenda. But mm. we, you know, but it was in Labour's manifesto in '97. But they kind of reneged on it. You know, funnily enough, this goes back to that thing about you know regular, you know, the p- politicians regulating themselves. They won a huge majority. Well, we're not going to change the system because all the incentives are that we can win big mm-hmm. majorities. So there's yeah. no way that they should be the people that decide how they're elected. Um, and then the 2011 thing, apart from that being the wrong system proposed at the wrong time by the wrong people in the wrong way, it was a perfect setup for <laughs> changing the, you know, changing the electoral you yeah. know, system uh-huh. and was a complete dog's dinner. Um, and I think the Liberal Democrats have probably learned their lesson around mm. that, you know, insisting on PR. And we can talk through maybe what will happen if there is any kind of coalition or non-majoritarian position after the next election and how that might play out because that will be the space in which something might happen where people whose interest isn't to change the electoral system might be forced to do it mm. um, but you know we'll say I think basically the, the entire next election Ed for me it boils down to whether or not the Tories are deprived of, of a majority because I don't at this point I don't think any party is going to go into coalition with them because they're sort of so loathed both in parliament yeah. and actually in the Good, country they've got no natural allies that will win seats yeah and so they're sort of left whether it's I don't know, like Labour minority government, whether it's coalition, you can even if you're the Labour Party, right? You can kind of say, let's say the SNP still hold on the majority seat of Scotland or whatever. You can still kind of say, well, look, you can vote with us or you can vote against mm. us. But if you vote against us, then you're going to collapse the government and we're going to we're going to have to run again with the Tories. Like you know, pick your poison. I can't imagine they're going to do the same. Um, what do you see then, Neil, as the route? To sort of implementing the electoral system changes. Well, because you know the people who the cartel who benefit from it aren't going to do it unless they're forced to. It's hard to see around all the corners, but there has got to be a scenario in which um, Milton Friedman said in, in in the crisis people look for the ideas that are laying around them. Right? There will be a crisis of our political system because it's so out of tune with the kind of networked, you know, interdependent, you know, fluid, flexible, negotiated world that we live in. This binary choice between you know BBC and ITV when everyone else is off in colour, digital, and you know whatever else. So that that thing has got to break at some stage. Um, it's much more likely to do it in a kind of political crisis where I think Lab- I think Labour think you know they might be in a 1964 situation in which readers and, and viewers I was alive only one but I was alive just to, so you just remember to pull it well. up. yeah I remember <laughs> clearly watching the, the electoral broadcast and uh, and working out who I was going to vote for um, uh, uh, so Labour won a sort of small majority then and then and then governed for a while and then got a b- bigger majority in '66. I, I think it's much more like 1974. I think we're in, we're going into quite chaotic times. And the reason I think it was like 90, it's 1974, because that was the end of the post-war political era, mm. that consensus stuff where yeah. we spent loads of money and everyone got good stuff and we were more equal and happier than ever. 
et cetera, et cetera. That was breaking down. And then the kind of neoliberal Thatcherite thing was kind of working its way through. And so you've got this chaotic moment at the end of one era, Gramsci, Gramsci. We've mentioned Gramsci. This is right. You've got Neil Lawson <laughs> on your podcast. You have to get Gramsci. It's the, <laughs> the second mention of Gramsci of these episodes. Is it? Yeah, we have yeah. the politics of the vanguard with, um, what's his chops, Matt from Commonwealth, didn't we? Yes. Yeah, we get, sorry, the Gramsci. Sorry, yeah, yeah, no, no. Oh, please continue. With no, your no, 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 no. Gra- so, Gramsci so, drop. So, yeah, the Gramsci drop is he spoke about the interregnum. The, you know, the old world is not dead. The new world is not yet born. And in, in the interregnum, all sorts of morbid symptoms appear. Um, it's a year of, of after Liz Trust very soon, isn't it? Talking mm. about morbid symptoms. But that's going to carry <laughs> on, right? As one system dies and something else is going to come along. So it's going to be really turbulent, really chaotic as we decide whether we're going to kind of go towards, you know, you know, authoritarian populism or some version of what I would call a good society. Mm. And so it's going to be really big and churning and whatever. So in all of that, I think that there are opportunities. And I can't tell you what the exact precise day, time, nature of the opportunity will be. But things happen when you've got ideas, you've got leadership, you know, and you've got some form of organization. So let's put the ideas, you know, the leadership and the organization for a better politics in place and have the kind of nimbleness and the agileness and the kind of openness and love and care and inquiring minds or whatever to pull that together when the time comes so you can do something which to pull us off in the good society direction rather than the authoritarian mm. populist right direction, which I think, you know, I'd probably put my money on right now yeah, because, well, you know, because I think, Europe, yeah. you look at the rest of Europe, what's going on in America, where the buzz of ideas and thoughts are, you know, as things get worse, people more, will go in that direction. So, that's why I'm kind of like passionate, determined, you know, because we've got to put a better alternative on the table than that one. I'm not sure I can handle more fucking chaos <laughs> based Ooh. on the last like five to 10 years. I think I'm a breaking point. <laughs> it's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Not another one? It's the Politics Show podcast. Is there leaders in this space that people can turn to? At the moment, because at the moment, because the the prominent left or the or the people pr- prominent people, progressive people, they aren't talking about this. Whereas I think you have people on the right. There was a Danny Kruger interview in the Times. Who, who's the left Danny Kruger? Yeah, Is, if there what a damning indictment that would be. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine being described as the left Danny Kruger. But, Lee, but he thinks, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, he does, I don't agree. Way. I mean, I agree with a little bit of what Danny says. Yeah, but he's a kind of you know public intellectual mm. of the right. Who are the public intellectuals of the of the left? I mean, there, but there there is a lot to draw on, right? There's definitely a lot to draw on. You know, 
um, uh, there's lots of writing, there's lots of thought, you know, whether it, whether, and there's lots of ideas, right? Whether you want, you know, Mazzucato or Rayworth, you know, whether you want a basic income or a four day week, you know, whatever it is you want, right? There's lots of stuff out there. Mm-hmm. At the moment, the real danger is it's completely disconnected from the Labour Party mm-hmm. and the Labour Party leadership. So I cut my teeth in 90, in the run up to 97, like the new Labour years, you know, and, and like that or not, and we can create, you know, we can get into a criticism of that. It had Giddings and it had Hutton and mm-hmm. it had Legrand and it had lead batter and there was big big ideas big thinking you know a plan talented people you know in the most kind of um benign economic circumstances 60 consecutive quarters of growth yeah i look at that and i go now well i mean there's some sweet people there but they're not exactly brain of britain are they you know in terms of ideas <laughs> yeah. you know and, and 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 drawing on big ideas and going my favorite intellectual public intellectual is is who here mm. you know who mm. is it tell tell us you know yeah. and tell us what you understand about that you know um uh you know it's all cautious it's all small target you know let's just get over the line in the most kind of malign economic and social circles so i'm looking at the thing going this thing is not going to fly. It's going to enter chaos yeah. really quickly. And and when it enters chaos, where's there another body of ideas, thinking or whatever, to to, to come in? I, I I wish I could say something more hopeful, but I think you have to look at things, you know, realistically. Mm-hmm. And I and I worry deeply about you know this plane, you know. You can put your bag on it. You know, you can sit there and strap your seat up. I don't think it's going anywhere very far, you know. And what mm. happens when it doesn't? And therefore, what do we... And, and I hope that they would take on board, you know, democratic ideas from me and economic ideas about donut economics from Kate Rayworth and the entrepreneurial state from Marina Mazzucato and, you know, and, and loads of campaign ideas, you know. Anyway, that's all we can do. We can prepare that stuff. We can lay it out. We can be prepared, ready, pushing it as much as possible. It's not just their responsibility. It's ours, yep. you know, to do these things. Let's do that stuff and see see where it ends up. Shall we have a conversation about the Labour Party then? Because Go on then. obviously you've got... Um well, a personal connection to all of this. Going I, well, I may now. have a personal connection or not. They, if, <laughs> yeah, if, to be if, decided. Yeah, if, if um, watchers and listeners don't know, they sent me a, a letter saying that if they find me guilty of promoting other parties, they're going to throw me out. It was based on a tweet I did a couple of years ago, three years ago. There was some sad bloke or woman, I don't know what it was, trawling through my Twitter feed in the basement of the Labour HQ, trying to find a we'll reason. Get like, him. Yeah, just like, how sad. I, you know, I wrote an article for The Guardian, just said like to my accusers, I send my love, you know. It was like, oh, you poor things, is yeah. that what your life is about? You know, we want to beat the toys and change the world. And you're scrolling through my rubbish Twitter feed mm. to find a reason. Anyway, so they've, they've sent me a letter saying that they'll a, a panel of the national executive will meet to decide my fate and whether I get, all, I get auto excluded if they find me guilty. What are you about to ask me? What the tweet was? Yep. Yeah, um, I'm asking the questions. Yes, it's good. I, I didn't uh, even get one syllable out. No. I just did what, and you got yeah. it. So it was in response. It must have been about uh, April 2021 in the in the run up to the local elections. There, um, my friend. Um, uh, I'm, a la- I'm a Labour person. I am still in the Labour Party, but my friend Lola Moran, who's a, a Liberal Democrat MP in Oxford, just DM me and said, like, you know, could you, you know, push this tweet where she's saying that cooperation between um, Liberal Democrats and Greens is a good thing. And I said, yeah, this is a sign of, you know, good grown up politics. And the truth is, I didn't really look into it very much. And I was endorsing that progressive, what we call a progressive alliance, progressive mm. parties working together. They've then interpreted this as saying, you know, there were some Labour people in the in standing in the, the elections where I was saying vote for these people. Um, and, and therefore against the Labour Party people. And if you say vote against the Labour Party people, you're, you're excluded, right? You're out, which I understand. I've been around the block. I understand the rules and whatever. But I was endorsing the, you know, just the principle of, and they're trying to stretch it. Cooperation. 
cooperation, progressive cooperation, and which I've, I mean, I don't know why they was like, you know, trawling through my tweets because they could have read any article in The Guardian <laughs> over the last 10 years and I'd have said exactly the same thing. Uh-huh. And this is all the nuts. So they're stretching that and we'll see whether they, they want to stretch it so far. I mean, I, and I kicked up a fuss about it because I have access to newspapers and media people and people close to the Labour leadership and, you know, whatever else. Because I just thought, I'm getting this right. And it was sort of a slight shock to me, you know, after 40 years of membership of the Labour Party. Um, and I just thought, well, I can stand up for myself, you know, um, in public and make a fuss about it. It's all the other poor people mm-hmm. who, you know, and, and I, you know, I'm, you know, they kick me out. I'll be sort of mildly upset, but I'll carry on doing the things I want to do. It's these people who are their lifeblood being in the Labour Party. They campaign, they stand as councillors, they deliver the leaflets, they do all of this stuff. And they're trying to remake the Labour Party, right? The people, it's some of the, there's a, there's a clique in charge of the Labour Party now who are the factions from the right of the party who are now in charge of all of this governance and discipline and whatever. Mm. And they're trying to remake it in their own image because they know they can't get their candidates elected in future because the Labour Party is still a kind of centre left, soft left, you know, mm. orientated organisation. So they're trying to make it a hostile environment for people like me and others because, you know, we wouldn't vote for their candidate. Mm. And it's systematic and it's industrial and it should never be allowed to happen. All of that, of course, parties need professionalism, they need discipline, they need borders. I understand all of that. But that can't be done in the interests of one tiny faction who have now got control. You know, the, the, the foxes have taken over the chicken coop and they're going to, you know, and they're going to kill anything that, that stands in their way. And that's just ba- it's just bad for the party because... You need a breath. Mm. You need, you know, and that, you know, and, and I don't think, I think I often see the sort of, if you want to call it the hard right and the hard left of the Labour Party being very similar, quite intolerant of other views. And I'm a pluralist. Mm. I learn when I listen to all views and get all views and soak those up and then develop my thinking. And then mm. you see the world in, you know, in the same way as, you know, in, in, in terms of reality, because you're listening to different voices. So I want the party to go back to that broad based kind of, you know, plural, tolerant, respectful listening kind of thing and you know my thing will be a little test case along the way on that mm-hmm. I, th- I think it's just that just isn't what the Labour Party is at the moment which is a real shame so when you go to Labour conference and you ask someone are they having a nice time and they say no so like, well, why are you here you've taken, <laughs> you've taken time off work yeah. to come and like have a genuine shouting match with someone who you're seemingly in the same team as yeah. etc which I think is actually maybe just the detriment of your work for a progressive alliance is that the the left people on the left can't stand each other and yeah. it's they work it's so kind of small time it's like inter-party factionalism instead of just kind of like sucking it up and becoming like a, a coherent set of policies for government I think since um, the peak of the membership which was I think about 560,000 in 2017 it's down now to about 390 so that's nearly 200,000 members and short. that's a victory and get the rich donors in yeah, yeah, to yeah. make up that which they're doing to be fair yeah they are yeah. that goes back to that well how do you change the country if you're reliant on the whims of rich donors mm-hmm. who aren't going to be aligned to the things that those members want now there's no. always that the out of kilter thing between members who people who join political parties are always going to be more extreme than the you know, than the, the the middle voter, the swing voter you're trying to aim and for. And the MPs, yeah. Yeah, and there's always there's always a tension there. But that tension's got to be managed in a kind of like, as I say, in a respectful, tolerant kind of way, not in a kind of shove those out of the way, just get the rich bastards in and we'll do whatever they want. You know Do you think it's do you think it's partially a product of regret or um a mistake that since basically since sort of Blair and maybe even to an extent Miliband basically they get Corbyn, they get McDonnell, 
and they go, you know what, we cannot allow that yeah. to, ha to happen again. And we are actually going to pursue like aggressive factionalism. We are actually going to pursue aggressive, um, a purge of yeah. different factions of the party because there's no way in our world we yeah. can allow this to yeah. happen again. So I think, I think they suffered a near-death experience or two, firstly through Ed Miliband, yeah. who beat David Miliband, who was the chosen person. And then Ed, you know, they would say politically because he wasn't, you know, he, he didn't kind of defer to New Labour and say it was wonderful all the time, mm. you know, and tried to move the agenda on. And then he changed the membership rules and let a lot of, you know, allowed a lot of people to join to vote for, for Corbyn. So, I, you know, I fear Ed is their target more than you know, Corbynism, mm. but I think you're absolutely right. They are dead certain that their number one priority is to never allow the Labour Party to be captured by, you know, uh, you know anything like Corbynism, right? Mm. And 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 I wasn't a Corbynite. You know, I was. I, I always describe myself as being interested in the wave of Corbynism, the energy, the young people, the ideas. I thought the surfer was pretty rubbish, to be honest. I don't think he was a good leader. He never wanted to be leader. And a lot of those people couldn't face up to the fact that he didn't want to be leader and couldn't lead and didn't know how to do it, right? So that always seemed like a car crash to me. But, you know, you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. So what were the conditions of Corbynism? Why did so many young people or people across age spectrums feel so disinterested in politics, feel so insecure, saw so much hope in that politics? And then you build off of that. And that's what Starmer said he was going to do. Mm. That's what's interesting. He said, you know, he stood on a kind of Corbynism without Corbyn ticket. Mm -hmm. And then as soon as he got elected, kicked the ladder away and said, no, we're heading off on this right wing charge on that kind of purge of everyone who doesn't believe in that, who doesn't believe in the things that I said I stood for in my leadership election campaign. And that's why you voted for me. So it feels quite cynical to me, you mm. know, and, and going back to your kind of, you know, what, what, how does that pan out in an election? Well, all this is going to come back to him, isn't it? This is why I don't think the next election's in the bag for Labour at all, mm. because they don't have much to say. They haven't got much of a platform. They're saying everything's terrible, but not promising any kind of substantial policy detail to change anything. And there's Starmer, with that track record, having said that Jeremy Corbyn's his best friend, having stood on all of those platforms, you know, both physically with Jeremy, you know, and, and in terms of policy terms, of being Mr. Second Referendum, of representing all of those people he represented as a barrister and a QC and, you know, all those, you know, very, very, you know, laudable campaigns at which you're going to look bonkers when the Tories misrepresent them. Mm. So who is this person? What is he? What does he stand for? Can you trust this person given he moves from this to this to this? So all of this is going to come back in. And I think it's going to be a very interesting campaign. And I'm not sure Labour has the intellectual and cultural robustness to stand up to it. I don't know about you, Ed, but I get the impression that Neil doesn't think he's going to be in the Labour Party for much longer. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely not, no. It's not, you know, it's not in my hands. They will meet in a basement a yeah, bit like yeah, this, you know, and they will welcome. decide. My, it's actually this room. Yeah, yeah it is actually yeah. the, around the corner. Yeah, yeah. Who's got the rolling? Making notes. Making notes. This is entrapment, let me freeze. So let's um <laughs> let's forget about um Keir Starmer and, you know, his possible agenda for the country because, uh, you know, you can debate what it would, would be, what it won't be. I think it's hard, given the dishonesty, I think it's hard without a manifesto. So let's talk instead about what Compass views as a good agenda for the country to create that good society. What yeah. are some of the ideas that you've got floating around that you would like him to pick up, oh, for example? Well, I mean, look, no, nothing that, you know, readers and watchers haven't heard or seen or whatever. I, as I say, we think that that changing the political and democratic system is is now a first order issue. Mm. And it's really interesting that we go around, we're talking to equality campaigners and we're talking to cli climate campaigners and we talk to the pro-European bunch and we talk to housing campaigners, whatever. More and more people in those 
single issue, big single issue campaigns are coming around to, okay, we get it. You can't change. We can't do what we want under the current system. Mm. So that's the big thing. And then once you've done that, there is a whole load of stuff. So our view about this stuff, it's not where massively kind of revolutionary radical lunatics that demand the earth tomorrow. What, what politics is about, it seems to us, is the sort of pragmatic building blocks. So that, of course, to win an election, you have to compromise, you have to reconnect with the electorate, you have to win people over, you have to win some Tories over, get all of that, right? And that was my experience in in, in 97, when Labour did that really, really effectively. But then you have to have a strategy to say, like, when you've reconnected and you've built that base, where do you take them? You know, do you carry on in that direction of, like, small target, cautious, conservative? Or do you, or do you act politically to build the institutions and the policies which kind of embed your politics over time, just building blocks, so you get stronger and stronger. And my worry is that this government will, you know, if Labour does win in any shape or form, it will start weak and get weaker, rather than thinking, how do you build the trade unions? How do you build community organisations? How do you build alternative media? What are the things that matter that you can change the, you know, the, the context in which politics is done and boost the people on the progressive side, you know, and undermine people, you know, through donation stuff and you know whatever else to you know media ownership and whatever else so i think politically you know about how you do that as i say in a pragmatic way and then you can think about a wealth tax and then you can think about a four-day week and then you can think about a universal basic income and you can think about all the things you know the kind of ownership of the you know national what should be nationalized industries and whatever not that you can do all of that at once but build the base for all of that stuff and i don't think that is impossible you know britain i don't know whether britain's a conservative country or a progressive country actually i've got a graph that proves it's a progressive country yeah. there's yeah I'll, i'm gonna i'll release it soon right but what and i'll give the readers and, and, and listeners and viewers whatever you are don't read um uh, <laughs> you know uh, so the, someone's done a, a chart which measures you know how how progressive an electorate is right on a scale of one to five britain has the most progressive electorate in the world Honestly, I'll, really? I'll, I'll, yeah, it's a fantastic graph, right? It's a proper bit of academic work. Because it confirms work. what I already believe. <laughs> believe. Yeah, that's the one. There's another one that confirms something opposite, but we won't be. We, we won't ask be the people that. who work for Compass. So, so this is a compared to other countries. This is a really progressive country, right? But I go back to it's progressive majorities divided into you know three, four parties or whatever. It just you know, keeps delivering. And, 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 just keep, and yeah. they keep coming through the middle. And Labour gets a go once every 20 years, yeah. but on terms that are you know dictated by Rupert Murdoch or mm -hmm. whoever else. And we don't change enough. And we keep going, well, that didn't work. Let's go back to, you know, the, you know, the, the, the and anyway, so we're in that rinse and repeat cycle. We've got to break it. Once we've broken it, then we can do that steady, pragmatic, you know, politics to try and build up an alternative. Mm. Ed, you've spent a lot of time out and about in Britain, mm. whether it's England, Scotland. A little, little dabbling in Wales, I think. A little, little trip never to Wales. Oh. oh, never been to Wales. We'll get you there soon enough, yeah, yeah. my friend. That's not true. I've been to Wales. Not, <laughs> not for a video. Not for work. Do you... Is your impression of Britain, is it of a progressive country? I would say no. I would say people lean more conservative, but I think my qualitative experience should not be used well, no, of course. to paint... But we're, just, the country. We're, we're chatting bollocks on a but, podcast. Yeah, but, it's, it's not, it's not I, 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 just, I just want to make sure the listener knows that I know that. Yeah, yeah. My degree in quantitative methods <laughs> backs that up. Um, yeah, I think I think I, th I think people are just seem are fed up. I think there's a reason. There's a people are dissatisfied with the country at the moment, and they're having a reflex reaction, and the way they're going is just conservative. And I, th and I wonder if that is because the only people generating ideas that people can see and vocalise are on the right. 
So if you think, so if you've been told the reason that the country's crap is because of all the people coming across the English Channel, mm. you're like, oh, that's that's probably it. Instead of being like, instead of having like a prominent voice on the left saying, no, it's actually this. I think the the ideas that people are hearing are more right wing, which then informs their debate coming back to them, and then they hear the people on the right repeating the thoughts they're already having. So it becomes this confirmation bias mm. of I like that person because they're saying what I already agree with, and I don't really think there's much challenge happening to that so even again i think that's right but even against the lack of challenge right 1979 there was a progressive majority vote thatcherism would not have happened under pr mm. right really? so there, so there was there was no charge to the right it was just the, and i'm not saying that the center and center left had a strong intellectual cultural kind of vision of where mm -hmm. they were going but people the majority of people voted against thatcherism and for progressive parties it would not have happened under PR, you know? Mm. So, and you can, that's virtually every election since, right? So, you know, despite all of that right-wing media and control of the agenda, most people, and if you look at, look, look at the polls now about what people want about, you know, national ownership and, you know, bringing water and gas and electricity, you know, et cetera, et cetera, in, how many people support ideas like, you know, basic income, and as things get more insecure, that's only going to grow. So look, I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying it's not contested. But there's definitely no reason to think, you know, as the kind of new Labour Blairite view is, this is a conservative country, you've got to treat it with kick gloves, you can only govern and kind of top skim a little bit and never do anything too much or too radical. I think all of that is breaking down. This is a country, you know, Scottish independence hasn't happened, but look at the way that's erupted, look at the way the Red Wall's gone, look at Brexit. This is a country that does big things now, yeah. because there are big things churning underneath about lack of security lack of hope my child's life is not going to be as good as my life etc and then you've got climate and you've got ai and you've got all of this coming down the track look this is not a moment for timidity i'm not saying it's a moment for recklessness we need professional you know political leadership but it's got to address you know and and if democracy in politics does not you know alleviate climate change or stop the poor getting poorer then people are going to go off in a different direction mm. so i think it's really big stakes now that we're into and you know we can be sensible about that but we've got to be purposeful and pragmatic but take you know connect with people and take them in a different direction and i think that is very doable that is very doable i think um that's as good a place as any to leave it yeah neil lawson thank you so much it's been my Coming pleasure in. it's been great having thank you on. i think we'll have you back mate that was fascinating cheers thanks for listening to that episode of the pubcast if you enjoyed it, I reckon you'll also enjoy Unfiltered, our interview podcast. Here's a little taste of the episode with Gary Lineker. I love my life. I enjoy, I enjoy fame. People are lovely. It's so easy to be distracted by the tiny percentage on, on Twitter. In the real world, it's not like that at all. I think I've had only two instances in my entire life where people have had a pop. One old lady elbowed me in my back. <laughs> She was on her way to a Tommy Robinson rally. Really? Yes. Okay, that nice. old lady, she gave me, oh, lady car. So we're like, whoa, whoa. Yeah. And then I had another one where I was going shopping, my groceries, and some bloke shouted out of the road, you hate Britain. You hate Britain, don't you? I'm going, no, I really love Britain. But anyway. That's Unfiltered with Ollie Dugmore, wherever you get your podcast. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.